Right, so take your Bibles, open to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. In the passage we're going to study tonight, Solomon states the importance of obedience. Now, we talk a lot about obedience, but truthfully, you know, when we were kids, we sang a song about obedience is the very best way to show that you believe. We still sing it in Sunday school. But it's important for us to obey the king. Now, that's the phrase he uses. We'll see that. And I don't believe it's just referring to just an earthly king, but it's important we obey God, who is king of kings, Lord of lords, Jesus Christ's name is, right? Although <clears throat> the fact that we don't have a king in our country, the principles still apply for obedience to following and the rules that government establishes as long as they are within biblical bounds, which seems to be some things are going out of that now. But anyhow, <clears throat> more importantly, we can apply the principles, uh, as I said, to our obedience to God. So let's look at the first five verses of Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8, Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. I counsel thee to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. Be not hasty to go out of his sight, stand not in an evil thing, for he doeth whatsoever pleaseth him. Where the word of a king is, there is power, and who may say unto him, What doest thou? Whoso keepeth the commandment shall... Feel no evil thing, and a wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. So I want us to look at this passage and notice, first of all, we're going to look and see the wise man has boldness. The wise man has boldness. We'll see that in verse 1. Secondly, the wise one will obey the king. Now, especially in days when there was monarchies, or if you lived in a country had a monarchy where the monarchy had complete rule, it would be a wise thing to obey the king unless, again, it went against biblical commands, right? And lastly, we'll see the wise one will not fear. So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, again, we pray your wisdom and guidance as we study on being obedient. Again, Lord, it's a familiar truth, but one that seems no matter how old we are, we still sometimes have a hard time following. So Lord, help us to respond in obedience. We'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> Verse 1, it says, Who is as the wise man, and who knoweth the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine, and the boldness of his face shall be changed. You know, Having true wisdom does bring a boldness. Now, boldness does not equate to a brashness. But as Stephen stood before the council, he had a boldness. Did he not? In Acts chapter 6, it says, And they decided council, looking steadfastly on him, saw his face as had been the face of an angel. He preached uh, with boldness. And you and I... When you and I know the truth of the Word of God can have a boldness. I find many times, sitting on the council for Havelock, that a lot of times commissioners want to make a decision 
they, they have a hard time making a decision, being bold about what they're about to decide. Now, I will be honest. There are sometimes some decisions that are very hard to know which way you're supposed to go on it. But when you can apply biblical truth or you can take it back to a founding principle of our nation, it's pretty easy to be bold. And that's what, that's what Solomon is talking about, is having the wisdom of God gives a boldness because, you know, God said certain things are right and certain things are wrong. So when you apply those truths, it's always right or wrong, right? And you can be bold about it. You don't have to sit there and waver and question, but you can be bold. But spending time with the Lord will change your countenance. He says in the middle of the verse, A man's wisdom maketh his face to shine. In Exodus 34, when Moses came down off the mountain, what was the complaint the Israelites had? Nope, not that time. It wasn't no food. That's a good guess, though, because that was most of the time. Exodus 34, 29 says, And it came to pass, and Moses came down from Mount Sinai, with his two tables testimony, Moses' hand. He came down from, uh, from the mount, and Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come nigh to him. And Moses called them, <clears throat> and Aaron and the rulers of the congregation returned to him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all the Lord had spoken in the Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. Why? Well, because he had been with God and he had this glow on his face and it scared the people, so they made him cover it up. Now, I'm not saying if you and I are studying the Word of God, there's going to be necessarily a glow on our face in that same manner, okay? We don't walk around with little halos. Although, you know, several hundred years ago, everybody who was a saint, they painted with a halo on them. Haven't found mine yet. Still looking for it, I guess. But uh, <laughs> the idea being is that your countenance will change with wisdom. There should be a shining in your countenance. There should be a, <clears throat> a pleasantness, if you will, but also a boldness, a firmness in what you believe. We are told to come into the presence of the Lord with boldness. Hebrews 10, 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into holiest by the blood of Jesus. Hebrews 4, 16, Let us therefore come boldly, on the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. When Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, the, the, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom, God signifying that we now have access directly to God. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to go through the sacrificial system, but through Jesus Christ, you and I have direct access to God, and he says to us that we can come before him boldly. You know, when I worked at Walmart, I had a good um, relationship with the store manager, so I'd walk in his office and I'd be like, hey, Chris, and, uh, you know, we'd just start talking and, and chatting and sometimes ask about family, whatever, you know, and I'd walk in there with a, pretty much a boldness because I knew him, he knew me. Well, we had a new hire, and she went to talk to the store manager. She was fearful of him because she didn't know him. And the idea being is, <clears throat> Christian, you want to be able to, you and I ought to have such a relationship with God that we are comfortable in his presence. Now, not complacent, 
but comfortable, right? That we can come to him with a boldness. So we see the wise one has boldness. Secondly, we'll see the wise one will obey the king. I counsel thee, verse 2, to keep the king's commandment, and that in regard of the oath of God. You know, we are to obey the laws of the land. There is a speed limit for a reason, right? I remember when we were in Nebraska, driving through Nebraska, I think most of the roads were 65, and then you come into what they called a town, and it was barely a barn sitting way about a half mile off the road, and the speed limit would drop to 55. Well, we were driving along, and I had the cruise set at 65. I saw a 55-mile-an-hour sign, so I took the cruise off, and all of a sudden, this trooper coming the other way loops around and comes up behind me and pulls me over. Here I am even trying to obey the speed limit. And I, was, I think the last speeding ticket I got was in Nebraska. But thankfully, they weren't a share state, so it never followed me. But anyhow, Romans 13.1, Let every soul be subject to the higher powers, for there's no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. The only time we break the law of the land is when it's in direct violation of Scripture. If they were to tell us not to preach the gospel, if they're telling us, as they are, that you have to do something that violates some people's conscience, folks, we have an obligation to follow God. In Exodus chapter 1 and 2, it was government law that they were to kill all the infants. You know, the midwives of the Israelites disobeyed the law of the land. Why? Because it was in violation of God's law. Which I love that account. They would lollygag getting there, or they would save them anyhow, even though they had been there. But a lot of times they, they were just not getting there. And they'd say, well, you know, they're really quick about giving birth, those Israelites, you know. I mean, whatever excuse it takes, I guess, to give the king. <clears throat> but then it talks in the end of the verse about the oath of God. Princes made an oath to the king. We see this in 2 Samuel 5 and 1 Chronicles 29, but we'll go to 2 Samuel 5, first of all. 2 Samuel 5, verses 1 through 3. Then came all the tribes of Israel to David of Hebron, spake, saying, Behold, we are thy bone and thy flesh, also in time past, when Saul was king over us. Thou wast he that ledest us out and brought us this in, and the Lord said unto thee, Thou shalt feed my people Israel, and thou shalt be a captain over Israel. So all the elders of Israel came to the king in Hebron, and King, and da and king David made a league with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. And again, we see the same happening in First Chronicles um, <clears throat> 29. To get my fingers to work here. First Chronicles 29 and verse 24. And all the princes and mighty men and the sons likewise of King David submitted themselves unto Solomon the king. So the princes had an oath with, uh, to the king. But God has promised us a blessing if we follow him. You know, God desires to bless your life. He's not a mean ogre sitting there waiting to punish you, waiting to judge you. But he is waiting to bless you. <clears throat> and 
He has promised blessings for following him. He wants, his desire is for us to follow him, be faithful to him. Brother uh, Allen hit on that quite, quite a bit on Sunday about it's not all the externals doings, it's the inward working of God in our heart, and those external things will happen. But spirituality is not measured by what you do, it's what's in your heart. You know, the Pharisees, if we went by the outside, the Pharisees were very spiritual people. They prayed, they tithed, they did all these wonderful things, but their inside was full of darkness. People can put on a good facade, but what's in their heart? Well, I can't see in their heart. But when there's truly a change in the heart, it's going to bubble forth and see it on the outside. Verse 3, be not hasty to go out of his sight. Or don't be hurried. You know, the lost are afraid to come in the sight of God because they fear God. Now, we should have a proper fear as a proper respect to God, but I've met people that fear God as in, in the fact, as I said earlier, they think he's some kind of mean ogre ready to judge him. Or I've had people say, you know, God just has all these demands. God doesn't want you to have fun. I've heard all these things people say about God none of which are true. But it's interesting how some people will fear God when the believer is supposed to have a boldness in coming to God. But let's dwell with him. Is that not what the whole chapter, most of the chapter of John 15 is Jesus talking about he's divine, we're the branches and abiding in him, staying with him, dwelling with him. Let's not be hasty to be away from God. Let's abide with him. And then we see verse 4, where the word of the, of the king is, there's power, and who may say unto him, what doest thou? Again, look, relating this to the king of kings, there is power in the word of the king, right? There's power in the word of God. And again, Brother Allen covered some of those. There's power, there's saving power. And he went through all the other powers that the Word of God has. But God's Word has eternal power. Now, for earthly kings or earthly lawmakers, there is power. When the law is signed, that, that becomes law of the land, right? And there's authority that goes behind it. You know one of the problems of many laws is there's no enforcement of the law. There have been several ordinances that we have looked at in Havelock, and it's like, well, it's written right there that this is what's supposed to be done. And then we're like, so why is this not being done? Well, then we look at it, and you know what the problem is? We didn't write in there any way to enforce it when somebody doesn't do it. I'll just give you, for instance, this wasn't actually really one, but I'll, just for instance, let's say <clears throat> people are complaining because this guy's grass is three feet tall, Right? Well, we have an ordinance that says you have to keep your grass under a certain height, and if it grows beyond a certain point, you know, then you could be told about it. Well, that, if that's all the law went, then, then okay, you write a letter to the guy and say, hey, your grass is two feet tall, you need to cut it. And if I don't? Hold on, let's go back to the law. We don't know because we didn't think that far ahead. You see what I'm saying? 
You got to think the process through because then what, what happens if they don't? And so many times a law will get written, but there's no enforcement of it. You know, that happens in our country. But if you have a monarchy or a dictatorship, it really doesn't matter because when he says it, you can say, well, what if I don't? Well, I can lop your head off. I mean, you know, so there is that that goes along with it, right? But I am glad that God's laws are perfect laws and that he's the one that's going to enforce his laws. So I don't have to be judge and jury because he is, right? But we need to be careful of that because many times we try to play judge and jury for God. And then in verse 4, where the word of king is, there is power. And who may say unto him, what doest thou? Who are we to question God? Romans 9.20, nay, but O man, who art thou that repliest against God? Shall the thing formed say unto him that formed it, why hast thou made me thus? I want you to consider that for a moment. Because we live in a society that spends so much effort, so much time, and not being happy the way they are, and trying to change the way they are, and trying to fix this, and trying to fix that, and getting all these different surgeries to make their face look different to what it does, and try to make their body look different to what it does. Who created you the way you are? Who created you with the intelligence you have or don't have? Who created you with the abilities you have? God did. And you know what I find? I think it's a slap in the face of God when we say it's not right. Who are we, the creation, to tell the creator you didn't get it right? A lump of clay does not get determined what it will become. But the potter determines that. You know what the lump of clay does? It's just, it sits there. It's a lump of clay. And it's moldable, pliable. And that's what God wants from you and I, Christian, is to be moldable and pliable in the hands of the potter. And sometimes we don't like the pressure he's putting on. Sometimes we don't think that it's going to be anything beautiful, but we got to trust a master who knows what he's doing. My brother, growing up, always was very concerned about his hair. My mom used to cut my brother my hair for years. I couldn't care less about my hair. My mom says she always prayed that my brother would go bald. He still has a full head of hair. And I told her, I said, Mom, I don't know where you went wrong in that prayer. <laughs> but you know what? I mean, I've had people say, you know, you should get Rogaine. You should do whatever. It's like, you know, to try to get your hair back. It's like, I'll just go with what my grandfather said. God may only made so many perfect heads. The rest he covered up with hair. <laughs> because should it really bother us? Now, I'm not saying we don't keep ourselves, you know, in, in, in proper hygiene. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm saying... Can you look in the mirror and say, not, not in a prideful way, but say, thank you, Lord, for creating me unique. 
the unique individual that I am, and help me to use what you've created me for your glory. Then lastly, we see the wise will not fear. Verse 5. Whoso keepeth the commandment shall feel no evil thing. You ever notice any time there's a cop car, already has somebody pulled over, that everybody still slows down? Okay, here's, here's, here's a little secret. If you're doing the speed limit, you don't have to slow down. Amen. If you're doing the right thing, you don't have to fear. You know those that fear are the ones that are not doing the right thing. Years ago, when we lived in Kings Mountain, my wife and I were on the bus ministry. She was the driver. I was the bus captain. Poor kids. And we were taking the kids home, and we went by this one apartment complex, and there had to be every cop car in Kings Mountain surrounding the place. And we're like, something going on over there. <laughs> we later found out it was one of America's most wanted being arrested in that apartment complex. And the cop said, when they finally got in, he's like, ah, oh, you're here. Almost as if he was relieved that he finally got caught because he'd been running so long, he was just ready to give up, which is kind of interesting. You know, if we're not trying to hide something, we don't have to fear. Don't have to be looking over our shoulder who's around. God will reward those who follow him. Hebrews eleven six. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So there's no need to fear when we're doing what's right. Romans 13, if you turn with me, hold your place there in Ecclesiastes. We'll be back. But let's flip over to Romans for just a moment. Romans 13, 1 through 5. Let every soul be subject in the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained to God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power resists the ordinance of God. And they that resist shall receive themselves damnation. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Wilt thou then not be afraid of the power? Do that which is good, and thou shalt have praise of the same. For he is minister of God to thee for good. But if they'll do that which is evil, be afraid. For he beareth not the sword in vain. For he is a minister of God, a revenger to execute wrath upon him that doeth evil. Wherefore, ye must needs be subject, not only for wrath, but also for conscience sake. So, what's Paul saying? Paul's saying, look, if you're obeying the law, there's no need to fear. But if you're not, there's a need, you better be afraid, because they're going to catch up to you eventually. So a wise individual will not fear. Then going back to our passage in Roman, or Romans, Ecclesiastes chapter 8 and verse 5. Whoso keepeth commandments shall feel no evil thing, and the wise man's heart discerneth both time and judgment. The wise has discernment. Adam Clark put it this way. He says, both time and judgment. It is a matter of great importance to be able to discern when and how both to speak and act. But when time and manner are both determined, the matter comes next. What shall I speak? What shall I do? When, how, and what answer to time, manner, and matter. To discern all these and act suitably is a lesson for a philosopher and a study for a Christian. That probably takes a lifetime to learn, doesn't it? When, how, and what to say and do. Even 
when we are trying when, how, and what to say and do, sometimes it doesn't come across like we intended it to, does it? But it says he has discernment of both time and judgment. We need to understand the proper timing of things. Think back now to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time and purpose to every season under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to... And it goes through all those different times and seasons of life. There's a time to everything. And God's timing is not our timing. You know, it's funny. Every time somebody gets sick, it's like, you know, this just was not a good time for it. Okay, I've never had time in my schedule when I say, right here would be a great time to get sick. Right? When somebody gets injured, oh, this happened at the worst time. Well, I never had in my schedule, you know, I think this would be a great time to get a broken bone. Or this be a great time to have a car accident right here. I'll schedule that in there. We don't, why? Because there is no such thing as a good time for it. But those times do come around. And you know what? When it happens, well, it's time for it. And we deal with it as it comes, right? Why? Because we know God's timing is perfect. But not only do you have discernment of time, but also of Judgment. By the way, being a discerner of time and judgment, I think also we need to look at the scriptures and see that Jesus said, as the, ty- as the days of Noah, so shall be when the Son of Man comes. And we look at the days of Noah and we look at, at these scriptures that tell us what it's going to be like Folks, I think we see the day approaching, don't you? I think we see things approaching very fast. Now, I understand there's no signs for the rapture, okay? The Bible's very clear about that. The apostles believed the rapture would happen in their day. But there are signs for the revelation of Christ when he comes and sets up his kingdom. And if we see things starting to fall in line to fulfill these signs for that event which is after the tribulation period, right? So you have a time between the rapture and the revelation of Christ. If we see signs now, how much closer must we be getting to the rapture? Right? When you have at least a seven-year period between there of the tribulation period. But when it comes also to judgment... You and I need to expect the lost world to act like a lost world. We should not expect the world to act like Christians. Now, that does not mean that if people are swearing and cussing and using God's name at work, you cannot address that. That's not what I'm talking about. But I I don't understand when Christians look at the world and say, can't believe you did. Well, they're lost sinners. What do you expect them to do? When it comes to having proper judgment, we need to make sure that we get all the facts before we make a judgment. And taking care of the sin in our own life, as Jesus taught, take care of the beam in your own eye before you take care of the moat in your brother's eye. 
When it comes to having proper judgment, we need to approach with the spirit of meekness. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one when the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You see, a wise individual is going to have proper judgment. But can I say, beyond just of others, of situations and things around us too, when, again, when many times when certain things are proposed, whether it be here at the city level or whether it be at the state level, sometimes you, you, you have legislators say, oh, this sounds like a great piece of legislation. And then you start asking them some questions, and then they're like, oh, maybe it's not so great. You see, you've got to think about beyond step one. Where will this go? Where will this lead? And we need to do that with everything in life. If I make this decision... Where will that put me? Okay, so once I'm there, then what decision do I need to make? Where will that put me? You've got to think things through, folks. We can't just live willy-nilly on stuff. Or how we feel. What makes me feel good? Our decisions need to be based on fact, not feeling. Now, I understand we're all emotional beings. But true wisdom is going to get all the facts, and consider the consequences of your, our actions. Because, with, you know, the things we're doing today are going to affect our children and grandchildren. Look at history. Decisions that were made before we were born, some we deal with the consequences of it today, don't we? So think of the decisions you're making. Think of the choices you're making. And apply biblical wisdom to those. So the wise one can have boldness. But the only way we can have boldness is when we have been in the Word of God and we know what we're about to do is applying biblical wisdom. The wise one obeys the commands of the king and does not fear. Are we applying wisdom to the commands of the king? Let us bow for a word of prayer.